You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So this is the third in our four-part series on the War on Independent Contractors. As you know, earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Labor issued its long-awaited final rule on what constitutes independent contractors versus employees, and that will go into effect on March 11th. As expected, on the heels of the devastating impact of California's imposition of AB5, which contains a three-factor test called the ABC test, the DOL's final rule contains a six-factor test that'll make it much more difficult for what are referred to as freelancers, gig workers, independent contractors to earn a living. Basically, anyone who receives a 1099 form for either part-time or full-time work. So diving into this issue, our first episode in the series featured Congressman Kevin Kiley and his efforts to fight for the right of all Americans to choose how they earn a living against the onslaught of the DOL's new rule dictating what constitutes independent contractor versus employee. Our second episode featured returning guest and one of the co-founders of Fight for Freelancers, Kim Cavan, and her attorney from the Pacific Legal Foundation, Wilson Freeman, who filed the first federal lawsuit against the DOL's draconian and capricious rule. I wanted to use those words today. In this third episode, we have returning guest, economist Leah Palagashvili, who will be sharing some of the ramifications on this issue she and her colleagues found. You see, Leah is an economist and senior research fellow for the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, and she also writes a substack called Labor Market Matters. Although Leah's been on the podcast previously. She and her colleagues at the Mercatus Center have just published a study that goes back to where it all began, California and its AB5. The study is entitled Assessing the Impact of Worker Reclassification Employment Outcomes Post, California AB5. And of course, we'll include it under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. So without further ado, here's Leah. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Leah, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. How are you? Thank you uh, for having me back, Peter. I'm doing well. So I thought it would be a good idea because you and your colleagues at the Mercatus Center just came out with a new study on the effects of AB5, and it was maybe as expected. AB5 is not a good thing for freelancers or independent contractors out in California. And I thought maybe we could go through the the study a little bit and talk about it. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. So as we get started, can you kind of touch on what AB5 is and did out in California? Mm-hmm. So AB5 um, in September 2019 uh, codified into law a Supreme Court, California Supreme Court decision um, case in April 2018. So that 
what that case did is it imposed the ABC test, what's called the ABC test, to determine a worker's classification status. Now, AB5 expanded the application of the ABC test to basically everything in California, the labor code, unemployment insurance code, and so forth. Um, and by the way, AB5 had a lot of exemptions um, to the law. So there are many um, industries and occupations that were exempt. And then, uh, you know, another law passed um, in September 2020 called AB 2257, and it gave um, additional exemptions to California's AB5. Now, what, you know, why is AB5 and ABC, ABC test such a big deal? Because essentially what AB5 became was that it was the strictest rule in the whole nation um, for classifying a worker as an independent contractor. So it makes it really, really difficult for a worker to be legally classified as an independent contractor in the state of California. And then the intention from lawmakers is to encourage you know, organizations and employers, businesses, small and large, to hire workers as traditional W-2 employees instead of working with them as contractors. Now, there's a couple components to it, but that part B is the real yeah. real buzzsaw, is somebody else's quote that I've been using. But that's what like really screws, if you will, the independent contractors, right? Because it yes. if they're in the business or the same type of business that the independent contractor or the hiring entity is in, they, they're automatically employees. Yeah, so the yeah, the B component of the ABC test is that the person performs has to perform work that is outside the usual course of the um, hiring entity's business. Okay, so what does that mean? If you're a freelance writer who contracts with a magazine, you might you would fail to meet condition B because both the hiring entity, the magazine, and the worker who's the writer are in the same field. And this is true um, for music venues contracting with musicians, delivery companies contracting with drivers, an advertising company contracting with a marketing consultant. So the all of these would fail the B prong of the ABC test. Um, and so, and by the way, it's also important to note that previous to the ABC test, there was a different test in California. It was on, it was called the Borello test, um, and that one you know, allowed a bit more wiggle room for workers to be independent contractors. But additionally, what the ABC test does is it makes the um, makes the law such that the presumption is that the worker is an employee unless they meet these three conditions. And so that also makes it a, a bit more stringent than other tests as well. And it's any one of those three, right? They have to meet all three, Yes. They have to meet all three. They're presumed to be an employee unless they meet all three conditions. Okay. So if I reverse any, that. Yeah. If any condition fails, then they're not. They have to be an employee. Yeah. All right. So let, let me ask you, let's step back for a second from the ABC test or AB5 out in California. That B part is similar to the, I think it's number four or five in the new independent contractor rules set up by the DOL, right, that are going into effect in March. Yes, that's correct. So the DOL test has the six-factor economic realities test, and one of those factors also asks something similar to the B, which is, is the um, function that the worker doing an integral part of the core aspect of the business? And All so right. what the, yeah, go ahead, Peter. No, well, so here's a question. 
Yeah. Um, and I haven't, I haven't gotten it nailed down ironclad. So you mentioned a moment ago in California, they had built in exemptions for certain professions or industries. Mm-hmm. And you talked about writers. And I recall even before AB5 went into effect, it was already passed. And like Vox, the publication, like let go all of their freelance writers in California. So that chilling effect you know, started even before it went into effect. And then the Congress, uh, not the Congress, the legislature out in California had to build in all these different exemptions, which I think is what you mentioned, 2257? Yes, that's right? AB 2257 um, was a bunch of additional exemptions that uh, like the musicians and the writers and the translators all asked for. Right. Now, here's here's the really big question is you have exemptions under AB5 in California for, I think it's over 100 professions. Mm-hmm. Under the DOL's six-part rule or six-factor test, there's no exemptions, right? No, they're legally not allowed to provide any exemptions. Right. Yeah. So, so, there, so there's, there, no one can be exempt, yeah. If you're one of those hundred professions out in California that are breathing a sigh of relief because you got out of the stringent AB5 rules, the ABC test, now guess what? You've got another set of rules that you're going to not get exempted for, right? Yeah, that's, that, that's right. That's right, Peter. We might expect the rule to have um, more, you know, the, the effect of the rule might be expected to be more widespread than AB5 was in California precisely because the Department of Labor rule cannot exempt any industries, occupations, or professions like California's AB5 did. Right. And I don't know that a lot of people are getting that. And and particularly those out in California that are, you know, they're breathing that sigh of relief or have breathed that sigh of relief for the last year or two. Because this one's coming down the pike and it's just going to, like, hurt a lot of people who thought they got out of it in California. Yeah, that's right. I think um, I, I just I do want to point out that the DOL rule technically is not as stringent as AB five was, but um, it is going to have more far spread effects than AB five because no one can be exempt from the rule. So that kind of brings us to the study that you and your colleagues did. And do you want to go kind of go through that? Uh, Yes. So we published a study of California's AB5. um, And the the reason this study is important is because in the United States, there is no aggregate empirical investigation of what the effects are of these reclassification policies. So nobody knows what's the impact of them. You know, you might have 100 studies on the minimum wage, a bunch of others on labor unions impact and so forth. But we have no no study that analyzes the effects of worker reclassification rules like California's AB5 or the DOL rule, the recent DOL rule. And so we wanted to um, examine this because it's an important question. There's gro- there, These policies are growing right across states. We see it at the federal level. Um, and so we analyzed the effects of California's AB5 on employment outcomes um, for those industries that were and occupations that were not exempt. Um, and I just want to remind again that the intention of AB5 was to encourage businesses 
to hire more workers as traditional W-2 employees. And that's one of the things we wanted to look at in the study. You know, do we find that there is more traditional W-2 employees in, in California as a result of AB5? And so we essentially, uh, you know, in, in economics, it's called a difference in difference study. But what that means is uh, we looked at those occupations in California. Uh, we compared the employment outcomes of occupations in California that were not exempt from AB5 within California to those same occupations outside of California before and after AB5 was enacted. So we're comparing workers within California with all other states. Um, and then we also do, we also compare those workers with other states that only have a common law test. So, and we do it before and after California. So we're doing like a, a, a very comprehensive analysis of every worker um, that was not exempt from California's AB5. And we look at the trends, the employment outcomes of those workers in every other state before and after uh, California. And we also look at that worker within California. So to use an example, and you correct me when I'm wrong, because I know I will be wrong. If you had translators in California and you studied them from 2019 to, say, 2022 or 23, and then you also used translators outside the state and compared their employment or their job, so to speak, outside the state, right? That's correct. And then we okay. did that looking at them before and after AB5. Okay. Like the growth, like what's happening to their trends before AB5 and what's happening after even though other states didn't employ California's AB5, we still use, we still look at them in the same time period. Okay. So what did you find? Um, and by the way, I should mention that we found, uh, we looked at the study starting in January, 2011 until September, 2023. Oh, so you went back quite far. We did. Yep. So here's what we found. Contrary to the goals of the California lawmakers, we don't find consistent evidence that traditional W-2 employment increased for non-exempt occupations after AB5. And in fact, what we do find instead is that AB5 is associated with a significant decline in self-employment and overall employment for non-exempt occupations in California. And so to give you some specific numbers, we found that self-employment fell by 10.5% on average for non-exempt occupations, while overall employment fell by 4.4% on average for non-exempt occupations. And by the way, that's just on average. For some um, occupations that have a greater prevalence of self-employed workers, uh, for example, farmers, chiropractors, repairers, we saw greater reductions in both self-employment and employment. So as one example, um, we found that self-employment fell by almost one-third, so 28%, for workers who had a high prevalence of self-employment. Can you give an example of what type of workers would fit in that category? Yes. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, the workers who had who saw a greater prevalence, who occupations that have a greater prevalence of self-employed workers, some of the top ones are farmers and ranchers chiropractors, repairers, uh, photographers is one of them too, but they ended up being exempt. And so mm. they didn't, they didn't count. We didn't count them in our study, but those are some examples of occupations that have, um, you know, higher prevalence, uh, high prevalence of 
uh, self-employment. Artists, by the way, also in that category, but they got exempt later as well. Shoe and leather workers, I'm just looking at my, my, my charts here, shoe and leather workers, uh, repairs, engravers. So let me ask personal, you. Some, some personal service workers as well. And health diagnos- uh, diagnosing and uh, treating practitioners as well. So those were not exempt. So is it possible that the, I'm going to see if I can parse this out enough so it makes sense. If you had a profession that was not exempt and then later became exempted, does that skew the numbers? So our numbers are actually showing the low end because we include in our non-exempt category the the photographers, the writers, the translators who all got exempt later. So Mm -hmm. it's possible that the photographers, translators, and writers who all lost job opportunities when AB5 was enacted until the new law exempted them, that doesn't get counted in our study, if that at makes all. sense, Peter. Yeah, yeah at all. So, okay. so if, we, if, if someone wants to check what happened to photographers, that could be a separate, you know, and, and the other photojournalists and artists who later got exempt, that would be an interesting analysis and study. But for the purposes of making this study coherent with our data limitations and all and, all, and everything, we actually included everyone who, uh, who ever got exempt we excluded them from the study. So we're okay. only looking at occupations that never got exempt from AB5. So in, in some sense, you're correct. The numbers would actually be much higher if we looked at some of those occupations that were initially not exempt. Well, and then that also, and let me just see if we can clarify this for the listeners. What we're talking about with exempt, non-exempt are those that got exempted from AB5, if they were not exempted from AB5 originally and lost their gigs, and their gigs may have, and I'm talking about writers or musicians or whatever, their gigs may have come from outside of California as the hiring entities, and they may have, even though they got exempted, may have never gotten their gigs back. Would that be accurate? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. that's correct. So we don't count that, and in some sense, we might be underestimating the job losses. Right. And translators, for example, it's, you know, translators who lost their gigs and then later got exempted, they may not be getting hired because a lot of people don't follow day to day what California does. They just see the the headlines. And if the headline is you have to make these workers out in California, your employees now, and you're over in Georgia, for example, oh, we got an exemption. Well, too late. I've already found somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. So can you go through those numbers again? The, you mentioned 28% job loss or gig loss. The, tw- the 28% is um, the drop in self-employment for the group that had the highest prevalence of self-employed workers. So that might be the farmers and the ranchers, for example. They, they tend to be in the highest uh, group. Th- that's the highest category. On average, we see that self-employment fell by 10.5%. Uh, for these occupations, and overall employment fell by 4.4% for those occupations. And I like to give a little in short statement. So if you had to, you know, give a one-liner for what our, uh, for, for what our um, results are, on average, one in 10 independent contractors likely lost self-employment opportunities, while there's no evidence of an accompanying increase in traditional employment opportunities. 
And I want to highlight this point that we don't see an increase in traditional W-2 employment opportunities because that was the intention of AB5. The law was like, we want to make more workers W-2 workers, W-2 employees. But our in our study, we we ran, you know, we did we ran the main results in many different ways. Then we did what's called robustness checks in many different ways, and we just don't find consistent evidence that W-2 traditional employee inc- uh, increased as a result of California's AB5. Let me let me rephrase this a little bit um, and tell me if it's accurate. The intention was to push independent contractors onto company payrolls as employees. That's right. Yep. Not only did it not happen, it actually declined overall employment. But that so let me let me pause on that because that may have been I hated macroeconomics in college, by the way. <laughs> um, so that may have been you study from 2011 to 2023. That could that have been a function of everybody jumping in the U-Hauls and leaving California, like the overall employment decline? So um, the overall employment is overall employment for the non-exempt occupations, and overall employment is a fun is basically self-employed plus W-2 employees. So let's break that down. If if there's no change in traditional employees, so let's take a, a, an occupation, farmers, right? There's no increase of farmers becoming traditional employees, but there's a large decrease of self-employed farmers, then the overall employment of farmers goes down because overall employment is means is is a cat is a group category that consists of self-employed plus W-2 employees. So if we don't see an increase of W-2 employees who are farmers, but we see a large decrease of self-employed farmers, then overall employment for farmers falls. Right. Could there, and I'm playing devil's advocate, could there be any other explanation like they stopped using, you know, humans and started using more tractors or like, does does it have to necessarily, Mm -hmm. I'm playing devil's advocate here because this is where you start getting, you know, into the weeds and people start taking pot shots at you. That's fair. That's a great question. So we controlled for as much as possible. And by the way, we also controlled for things that happening to the same um, occupations in different States as well. And so if, if it is the case that in California there, you know, more robots were introduced, right. <laughs> and not in every other state. So yeah, that poses a problem. So I should say that we can't 100% say that California's AB5 caused these declines because it's just the nature of the data prevents us from being able to employ an empirical approach that is that 100% says that these are causal. But what we do have is robust associations, statistical associations and patterns. And when I say robust, we really mean like we've checked it a bunch of different ways. So in every specification that we ran, we saw self-employment decline. Um, and so, so it, while it's true, we can't, you know, 100% for sure say that California's AB5 definitively led to this decrease of farmers, self-employed farmers, uh, we can say with confidence that AB5 is significantly associated with a decline of self-employed workers in California. And on the other side of that, they also didn't push people onto payrolls. 
Exactly. Yeah, that as, that as we find consistent evidence that we don't see an increase in payrolls in traditional W two employees for the for non exempt occupations. Now, you know, we don't we don't have anything to say for other occupations because they were excluded from our study. So maybe. I don't know, W-2 employment in California grew regardless because of other occupations that were exempt. But for treated, for those occupations that were affected by AB5, we don't see consistent evidence that W-2 employment and payroll increased for them. Has the other side, I I saw something with a a Berkeley professor, which I usually tune out Berkeley, Um, but they're taking pot shots in a Bloomberg article like the professor from Berkeley was. I think it was Berkeley, right? Uh, Yeah, that's right. So there was a Bloomberg Law article that featured the study. um, And then they had two comments from uh, from Michael Reich, who's a a professor at Berkeley, and then Heidi Sherholtz, who's the president of the Economic Policy Institute. Now, I just want to point out that that Bloomberg Law article actually incorrectly cited our study. So they said California's uh, AB5 resulted in a 4% decline in employment in the state. And that's not true because we're not saying that the study shows that there was an overall decline in employment in California as a result of AB5. What we're saying is that there's an, a decline in employment for those occupations, for those specific op- occupations that were affected by AB5. And so I think that's where the misinterpretation uh, from the comments from the two comments from Bloomberg Law comes from, because those comments seem to think that our study is saying that we found an overall decline in employment and self-employment in the state of California, like on aggregate. Instead, what our study is showing is that we found for those occupations that were affected by California's AB5, we see a decline in self-employment and employment opportunities for them. Not for the whole state. Does that make sense, Peter? Yeah, it does now. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I so think I misinterpreted it as well. Yeah, and we could have been a little bit more clear, I think, but because of the way that we did the study, we excluded all the occupations that were exempt from California's AB5, right? So over 100 occupations and professions and all that that were exempt. So we're not testing overall employment and self-employment in California. We're testing the employment outcomes for specific occupations that were impacted by California's AB5. So the farmers, the chiropractors, uh, and so forth. Right. The construction workers, et cetera, yeah. You mentioned the Economic Policy Institute. For the the listeners, the Economic Policy Institute is a hard-left, pro-union, funded by unions, think tank, if you will, on economics. They publish articles, I think, on the board of directors. It used to be that Richard Trump goes on there. I don't know if his successor is uh, on the board of directors, but you have a number of union presidents on there and then some far-left economists that are on there as well. And I, I didn't read far enough on the Bloomberg Law article to even see what they said because I kind of dismiss what they say a lot of times. So one thing, one thing um, you know, they said... Um, they said, you know, they wanted to shed doubt on the the study because they said there were a high number of job losses for traditional W-2 employees, so the payroll employees. But again, that's a misinterpretation of our results because, as I mentioned earlier, we actually don't find an increase or decrease 
and W-2 employees, right? We say we found no change of W-2 employees. And shareholders, um, sorry, the, the Economic Policy Institute comment said, oh, you know, we should dismiss the study because the job losses for traditional W-2 employees is too high. But we don't, we, you know, as I, as I just told you, we don't find an impact on W-2 traditional employees. So I think she misinterpreted the results of our study because the results of our study are the main findings that we that we find is an inc- is a decrease in self-employment income and a decrease in overall employment for the affected occupations. But we actually don't find either a decrease or an increase in the payroll workers. And that's that's why our main finding is that contrary to what the lawmakers intended AB5 to be, we actually find no effect of AB5 on traditional W-2 employees. Got it. And and by the way, one more one more point that this might be interesting for your listener. The comment from the Economic Policy Institute also said, you know, there's no real story where traditional employment would fall as a result of AB5. But um, I think, you know, people like Karen Anderson, who you will have on your podcast or you've had and others, have actually showcased stories of small businesses where they relied heavily on independent contractors, but they also had employees. So if that business was forced to close down as a result of AB5, there you will see job losses for both self-employed independent contractors as well as traditional employees because that small business had had employed both independent contractors and employees. Well, and, you know, the other part of this is if, for example... I have a small business and I use independent contractors kind of as a filler and not full-time employee. And now all of a sudden I have to hire a full-time employee as opposed to three independent contractors. Mm. Well, two of those are going to lose their, their gig, so to speak. Right. Yep. That's right. That, that, that's exactly, that's exactly right, Peter. That's another, that's another mechanism. So it's not, so her comment that, there's no story where traditional employment would fall. It's just not true because there are multiple different anecdotal evidence. And, you know, the point that you just raised, Peter, as well, where a story, there is a story about how traditional employment could fall. Now, we're not saying that's what we find in our study, but there's definitely a story. And then so if you broaden that nationwide in something like the six-factor test of the DOLs, then you have essentially widespread gig loss or contract work loss, right? So it's hard to, you know, we can't say for sure what will happen with the Department of Labor rule, but what our study suggests is that the Department of Labor rule may lead to a significant decrease in self-employment and overall employment nationwide. And then what we can also draw from our study is that the occupations with a greater prevalence of self-employed workers, so construction workers, truckers, and so forth, we'll see the largest declines of self-employment and overall employment. And then one last thing, like AB5, the DOL rule is also intended to try to get more workers on payroll, as you mentioned, Peter. But our study draws, basically says, look, we can't, we can't be certain that that will be the impact. So it's not clear that the DOL rule would definitively lead to an increase in traditional employment as intended. And then one other thing I, meant, I didn't mention in our AB5s, study, Peter, is that we found one instance where we did see an increase in traditional employment in some occupations. Even in those cases, though, 
the decrease in self-employed opportunities in those occupations were far greater than the increase in traditional employment. And so that resulted in an overall job loss for workers in those occupations. And so what that tells me too about the DOL rule is that even in cases where we might get an increase of payroll employees in some industries or some professions or occupations, our results suggest that the increase in payroll workers, workers will likely not be greater than the reduction in self-employed um, in self-employment in those professions, um, and therefore that will lead to a decrease in overall employment nationwide. And it's impossible to calculate how much until it actually goes into effect and the after effects of it, right? Yeah, we can't we can't calculate. We can just try to draw some implications based on our on our study, but. Overall, we, we would just say that we think that the DOL will face significant limitations in meeting their intended results and that the rule will have additional negative consequences that were actually not accounted for in the, in the DOL rule. And when they published their rule, they have to do a regulatory impact analysis and they didn't account for any of these potential job losses in there. I seem to recall that. They couldn't. I think they said in there we can't calculate the... I'm not quoting this at all, but basically they can't figure out what the ramifications would be. They're not sure what the impact and how the reactions would be from small business, things like that. Yeah, they, they actually did say that, Peter. I remember that quote there, like, we can't figure it out, so therefore we're not even going to try. Right. <laughs> and Which so is I pointed crazy. that out in a I know I pointed that out in a public interest comment to them last year when the when the proposed rule was first issued. And I said, even if you you can't definitively say what the impact would be. You have to put a, provide a range. And, and then you have to do an impact analysis based on the range. But you can't say we don't have numbers, therefore we're not even going to try, which is what they said. And I think it's quite problematic uh, because they have to at least attempt to try to calculate the costs of the rule. But yeah. in that case, they admitted they admit that they, they're, not, they're not even attempting to calculate the cost of the rule. Which I, you know, that in and of itself should put, I don't know if there's a trigger mechanism in the, in the law, but that should stop an agency from coming down on, well, hell, the entire American workforce in this case. Yeah. If they can't figure out how many jobs or how many gigs it's going to cost, stop. (laughs) So at least until you study it. Well, I think that's a really important point, Peter, because, again, these reclassification policies are new, and that's why we did our study as well, because we don't know what the effects of some of these policies are, and it would be it would be more helpful for us to use basically what states are doing as experiments to study the impact of these and then figure out, is this the best policy nationwide or not? Right. Um, whereas, unfortunately, the DOL admits that they don't have a way to class to figure out what the costs are, but they're going to continue with the rule anyway. <laughs> whereas, a kind of a better approach would be: okay, we saw in this state it led, you know, California. We saw in California it led to job losses. We saw in other states it led to this. Now let's try to quantify the costs of it nationwide. Yeah. Before you mess with a bunch of people's livelihoods, perhaps a deeper study would be relevant here. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, as economists, some academics too, we would prefer if, <laughs> would prefer if people took a better approach to understanding the effects of various policies. But, um, you know, we can't expect that from, from government officials all the time. Right. 
which is a sad state of affairs. So I know that you've been in the media, so to speak. I've, I uh, watched a webinar that you were on earlier this week. So the study seems to be getting some press out there. And then, of course, the other side, the union side, if you will, is trying to diminish the study. So where are you Where are you going from here? Are you going to be doing additional studies or? So I haven't seen too much from the union side trying to diminish the study. I think it was the Bloomberg Law piece reported on it with those two comments, but it was mostly a misinterpretation of our pieces. But maybe, Peter, you've seen the, well, I've seen something. On that, I'm specifically talking about the EPI. Because that's the union side. That is, oh, okay. I understand what, I I understand your point now. So, I'm writing a, you know, publishing a Substack post probably today that'll be out that just addresses those two comments and the Bloomberg law piece um, where EPI, the Economic Policy Institute, commented on. Um, and as I, as I mentioned to you, Peter, it was the, the comment was a misinterpretation of the results. And so we are just kind of clarifying that, you know, we're not saying that overall employment in California fell. And we're not saying that traditional employment in California uh, fell as a result of AB5. And I haven't heard any other comments or criticisms from the union side, as you say, Peter, yet. But we'll address them as they come through. Um, At the same time, uh, we have a couple other specific ideas that we'll continue to work work on uh, with regards to California's AB5. So, for example, we're interested in studying the trucking industry in California specifically. And so possibly looking into doing a specific study on that industry itself rather than looking at all occupations that were affected by California's AB5. So you'll continue to kind of get some research from us along these lines. We think it's such an important question. I can't emphasize this enough because these reclassification policies are springing up everywhere at the federal level, as we just talked about, but in different states as well. And so it's really important to under to study them to understand what are the possible effects and impacts of them on on people's livelihoods. And so we'll continue, we're going to continue to look into these into these policies, continue setting them. And, you know, if, if you or any of your listeners have ideas as well, feel free to to send them my way because we're going to double down on focusing on California's AB5 and some of these reclassification policies. Well, and the trucking industry one should be interesting because I know there's a I think it was Fox Business segment on a woman who is a truck driver who moved out of California because of AB5 so she could stay in business. And I suspect there's others like that as well. Yeah. So the reason we thought about focusing on trucking is because we saw, you know, not only Fox, but a bunch of different um, news outlets report on the, the, truckers, a bunch of truckers trying to leave California <laughs> post AB5. And we thought it would be interesting to focus on trucking in general because they were affected by California's AB5. Um, and trucking is an industry that has a high prevalence of independent contractors and self-employed individuals. Right. Um, and so that, you know, that would be our next go-to is, you know, we did kind of an aggregate assessment of California's AB5, and now we want to focus on one specific industry, and, and we're thinking uh, we'll look at trucking. Okay. And for the listeners on Substack, you post under Labor Market Matters. And so if they go to Substack.com, they can do a search, Labor Market Matters, they'll find your Substack, which is for those that are not familiar with Substack, which shouldn't be any of our 
our listeners, because we post on Substack as Labor Union News as well, just do a search for Labor Market Matters and, and they should be able to find you and subscribe, right? Yep, that's right. Labor Market Matters is the name of the Substack. And you can also find it by typing in leahpalagashvili.substack.com or searching my name. <laughs> I was giving them the easy one. The easy way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, or labor, you, they can, you know, search on Google, Labor Market Matters, Substack. Right. But I feel free to to subscribe because I I write basically all on labor, on labor policies and labor issues. I have a series called the Labor Myth Busting Series as well, <laughs> where I try to bust myths about different things in labor economics and labor policy. Oh, good. Is that on your Substack? That's on my Substack. Yes. Okay. I've been. I just subscribed to you about a month, maybe two months ago. So, did not know you were there until you started publishing on the AB five stuff. But that's awesome. Yep. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me. Yeah, I know you've got some time constraints and baby constraints, so. On that note, thank you so much for coming back on Labor Relations Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. It was great talking with you again. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. So that was Leah Palagashvili from the Mercatus Center talking about the consequences of AB5 out in California. And I'm calling them consequences because that appears to be what's happened out there, the devastating impacts of getting rid of independent contractors through the state legislature. In any case, I'm going to include some links to her study, her and her colleagues' study, and as well as a link to her substack, which is Labor Market Matters. And that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on X, the app formerly known as Twitter, at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Whoa, black cream, take me to that place. Wash my away. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.